Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Well, we're 11 weeks into our study of the Gospel of Mark. And I encourage you, if you haven't been with us, uh, to go back and listen to the podcast. If you, if you, um, if you haven't, uh, it'll help you catch up to where we are, help you get the background of, of uh, what, we've been, uh, what we've been talking about. And we're going to be in Mark for quite a while. And we need to remember that the agenda of Mark wasn't like that of Luke. Luke's agenda, he says, was to give an orderly account, put things in order, research down to the little details and all. Mark deals in themes. He writes in themes. And I think that the pervading theme of today's message actually focuses on the third person of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. Now let's dive in and then we're going to take a step back and and look at what I believe is oftentimes the the, the most disregarded, the most underappreciated, the kind of the junior partner of the Trinity, if you will. Chapter uh, 4, verse 1, it begins like this. It says, again, Jesus began to teach. We've been talking about this. Jesus came to teach. He teach, to teach, to teach. Yes, there's the miracles and such that people were interested in, but Jesus' purpose is to come to teach so that we might know about God, so we might know the truth about God, so that he might bring the gospel, and then he came to lay down his life so we could take that teaching and we could follow it as followers of Christ. It says, he began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it out on the lake where all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So Jesus goes to teach by the lake, by the, the Sea of Galilee, or, or Lake Gennesaret is another name that it's, that it's known by. And he's going to be meeting their expectations and their physical needs, but his primary purpose is to what? To teach. Good, you're getting it. He's going to be teaching, and sometimes he's going to be teaching things that are, that are challenging. Sometimes his words are going to seem harsh. He's going to give hard truths that, that will cause some people to just turn and, and bail and, and leave. So once again, he's at the lake. He says a crowd gathers around him. They're, they're, the crowd in general, they're looking for the show. They're looking for the miracles. But he's there to teach. And he keeps giving them messages, and it's, and it's almost like they're dismissing him. Let's get back to the miracles. We've been pointing out through this whole series that if Jesus came to teach, our job is to what? To listen. To listen. Therefore, we ought to listen. In fact, in the, the book of 1 John, it says that we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. If we listen and we obey him, that's how we know that we love him. So he's going to teach. He gets in this boat. He sets it on the water, creating a, a natural amphitheater type thing there. And his voice is carrying over the water to the people on the shore. And here's what it says next. It says, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, parable isn't a word that, that we tend to use in, in everyday language here in the 21st century. And a, a great definition of parable that I found years ago, it, I didn't make it up, but I think it's a great definition, is a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story, something about something that we can, we can connect with, 
but there's a, there's a heavenly truth behind it, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And without the Holy Spirit, without the great intercessor, without this most important part of the Trinity, it is impossible to get the meaning of the stories that Jesus is going to tell, particularly the parables, and we're going to see that in a minute. He himself is going to say that. Those who are attuned to the Spirit will be able to understand the parables of Jesus. Others, they'll just say, cool story. Now let's see some more miracles. And the differentiation between group A and group B is one. Do they have the Holy Spirit in them or not? Is God revealing himself in the, through the Holy Spirit or not? A farmer went out to, to sow some seed. And, now some of you, you just tuned out. You said, oh, that story. I've heard that story before. I've, 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 I've heard people, pre in fact, you probably, if you were here in October 2017, Bruce, you heard me preach on it back then. I preached on this story back then. Very same passage in, in Mark. But even if you've heard me or someone else uh, speak on this story or you've studied this story before, I encourage you to lean in this morning to see what God has to say to you today. Now, we often take a simple truth that, that Jesus is trying to teach and, and we look for such deeper meaning and, and complexity that we can actually miss His point. We can't see the forest for drilling down on the trees, as we might say. We come in it like, well, well, who do you want to be in the story? Who do you most identify with? As if depending on where we are in, in our day, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of like the guy here, or I'm kind of like that guy, I'm the antagonist in the story, I'm the protagonist in the story. Folks, that's never why Jesus tells a story. It's not a, you know, choose your own adventure, you know, choose option A, option B, and it's going to take you down this trail or that trail. It's not about you choosing your own adventure. It's to reveal himself. It's to reveal something about the kingdom. It's to reveal something about God. But we make a big story or a big deal in the story. We say, well, well, how are we supposed to, to sow the seed? Do we, do, we, you know, do we have one of those little things where you crank and the seed just goes out like that? Or, you know, what's the, what's the farmer look like? Is he a tall guy? Is he a short guy? You know, we get wrapped up around these, these little details that really don't matter. You know, we say, well, what kind of seed is it? You know, what is it that he's actually planting? It doesn't matter. That's not his point. All he says is there was a farmer who sowed the seed. That's it. And when it comes down to it, it's not about you. It's not about me. It has nothing to do with you or me. We are just blips on the cosmic radar of God's glorification of Himself. It's all about Him. The story's all about Him, and we don't have permission to take sides on, on who we think we most identify with because He tells us who we are. If you look at the story, we're the farmer. Okay? We're the farmer. And I know there's some people here that are professional farmers, and those of us that, that weren't professional, we get to be farmers in this story. This is what we know. We know that we're the farmer, and the farmer's out sowing some seed. And he says in verse 4, he says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. So the emphasis here is on the production 
of the crop. It's what happens when, when the seed meets soil and the elements that the, that the farmer doesn't necessarily have control over. And this isn't modern farming where we do all the scientific stuff. This is just a farmer in the first century going out and scattering seed and hoping and praying you know, for rain and for the other stuff and that the soil is going to be good and that a crop is going to come up. He can't control the sun. He can't control the nitrogen. can't control the water. And we, they didn't have modern irrigation systems back then. And he says there's a different ways that people are going to understand this. And then to the casual audience, you know, they might just say, well, wow, this guy's good. He knows all about agriculture. This guy's neat. And then here's what happens. Jesus says something next that can become very, very offensive. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He didn't say whoever has ears, let them hear. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which means that in the audience of Christ crucified, preaching his gospel, there's two kinds of people. One that unifies us all. I mean, you know, most of us, unless we've been in some horrible accident or something, you know, we have ears. Everybody has ears. They have ears. But he says those who have ears to hear are who he's calling. They have ears to hear. There's those that have, that have little hairs in their ears that are tickled and, and they can perceive language that have been spoken. And then there's, there's those who actually hear. They actually hear. Those are the, there are those who, who let the word get from here, the 12 inches down, to the heart. Down here where it takes root in their lives and, and where things can change their lives, where, where they, can, they can have change and, and become what Christ wants them to be. Jesus came to teach. And he's getting frustrated with the crowd that won't listen. He says, let him who has ears to hear change. And then it says in verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. You see, those who, who want to learn, those who value his teaching, they ask him. They say, Lord, you know, explain this to us. You know, there, there's some that are just going to say great story and they're just going to go on their way. Hey, I saw the healer, saw the teacher. You know, he was out there along the, along the waterfront the, today teaching. But the disciples, the apostles, the 12 that he called on previous chapter, and then those other disciples that, that earnestly want to learn and want to follow him, they start asking him questions. And there's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we have ears? Or do we have ears to hear? He told them in verse 11, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, and then he quotes the, he quotes the great prophet Isaiah here. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. What a horrific thing to, to make sure that we understand about the character and the nature of God, about God's purpose. You see, Christ is glorified when someone, in light of all the temptations and all the backlash and all the cultural norms, the way that things are done in the world, when someone looks at the cross of Christ and says, Jesus, you have chosen the foolishness to shame the wise, and you have chosen something so that it doesn't make sense in our culture that this lowly man, born in a stable, a borrowed manger, then to a borrowed tomb, that he would be the absolute key to God's entire program. If you reject God, he's still glorified. 
God's will cannot be thwarted. To those who bend the knee and, and submit their lives to God, He's glorified. And to those who say that I will not submit the knee, God says, I promise. I promise you will. And I'll still be glorified. Philippians chapter 2 says this. He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. What does every mean? It means every. Every knee will bow. And in case we're not clear about it, Paul says, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That really doesn't leave anything out, does it? He says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does God want us to know Him? Yes. Scripture says that, and He desires that all men and women come to a knowledge of the truth. But don't get it twisted. If we don't, He will still be glorified. He's glorified in our acceptance of Him, and He's even glorified when people reject Him. He's going to be glorified, which creates some, some attitudes in some people that, hey, I'm doing you a, Lord, I'm doing you a favor by accepting your word. You know, I'm, listen, whether you accept it or reject it, he's going to be glorified because God is sovereign. When God makes plans, no man or woman can impede them. Then in verse 13 it says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable. He's basically saying, if you don't get this one, you aren't going to understand other parables. And, and we know that Jesus, and we're going to see that this week, and we're going to see it some next week too. Jesus taught in a lot of parables. If you don't understand this one, why, why, what's the problem there? He says, because this parable is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not going to understand the parables because the Spirit is the one that stirs in you. The Spirit is the one that reveals. The Spirit is the one that teaches you. And if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand the others. Without the Holy Spirit, everything is just a great story. It's a great story that this agricultural expert guy, you know, we thought he was a builder, you know, a technon, a carpenter, a mason, you know, from, from Nazareth. But, well, he sure seems to know a lot about agriculture. It's just a great story. He continues in verse 14. He says the farmer, he's explaining it to him. He says the farmer sows the word. We made it in the section not once, but twice. The farmer's back. We're the farmer, remember? Those of us that are Christ followers. The farmer sows the words. In other words, you live your life as you go. You proclaim the Word of God in your actions. And your actions should trigger the question that we looked at last year when we were studying through First Peter. In First Peter 3, it says that we, we should be able to give an answer when folks ask, what is the reason for the hope that is within you? We give a reasonable response to these things. We live in such a way that, that we, <clears throat> we marry the way that we live to the words that we speak out loud. We live in a way that, that honors God, but we're ready to explain to anyone who asks us, what's different? What's different about you? How do you get through this life, this tough life with all these, all these things going on, these, these troubles, these problems? He says some people are like the seed on the path where the word is sown. Now, it doesn't say that you change the seed depending upon the soil. The seed is always the same. The, the seed is the gospel of Christ. And it goes like this. God created everything. We screwed it up royally. He could have just turned away. He could have just destroyed it and started all over again. But instead, he had, a, he had a rescue plan, which is the work of his son to come and live a perfect life, the, the life that we couldn't live perfectly, to die a perfect death that, that we actually deserved. 
to be a part of a resurrection that, that we can be in company with him at the end of time. That's the gospel. And if people don't hear that, if people don't want to hear it, if people don't like that, it doesn't give us permission to change the seed. The seed never changes. The gospel never changes. So what's the difference between those that receive the word of God and those who don't? The Holy Spirit. Whether God chooses to move or not in their lives, whether they're willing to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, it's all for His glory. When someone comes to faith, it's His glory. It's His work. It's His objective. It's His incentive. It's His prerogative. And because we can't fully understand the mind of God, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, we just live our lives in a, in a God-honoring way. We share, we preach, using words if necessary. And then we get on our knees and we pray for those around us. That's our job if we're a follower of Christ. It's not our job to go, well, you're going to receive the Word of God and you're going to receive the Word and you and you and you, but nope, you aren't going to receive. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit, and you be the farmer, you be you, you be doing the thing that God wants you to do. So we preach, we scatter seed, we don't change a seed with progressive theology or prosperity gospel or, or liberation theology. We don't change the seed. Well, well, God's wrath is difficult to understand. Don't change it. It doesn't need your help. You just spread the seed. And if it's good soil, we don't know. It's not about a farmer. It's all about where the seed lands and then who continues to cultivate it, which is not our job. He goes on in verse 15. He says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Have you ever been in an urban place like, like New York City? You know, have you ever been in, in, in an urban setting where the, you have pigeons? And if you pull out you can pull out anything. I don't care what it is. Popcorn, french fries, or whatever. They're going to come. All of a sudden, they're going to be around you. And what do they do? They come and they, they, if there's anything laying around, they're going to pluck it up. They're going to eat it. And that's the way that, uh, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. Wherever the word of God is spoken, Jesus is the adversary. Satan is present. And, and like a bird plucking away the seed, going, thank you, thank you. This applies to everyone except for you. He just plucks. It's simple. He says, you know what, this, let me take that off you. Let's let me take that away from you. you know, he doesn't want it to take root because once it's taken root, there's, there's no undoing what God is doing inside of us. God's love is relentless. It's all-consuming. And, and when we experience His grace, there's, there's nothing like it. So Satan would rather have it as soon as it's preached to pluck it up. It says, others like seeds sown in rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. These people, these are the people who like last week, they were all into this and they're all excited about this and that. This week they're excited about this and the next week they're going to be excited about something else. You ever know anybody like that? They just boom, one, bam, bam, one thing or another. They're like an undulating force, you know, back and forth. And instead of a steady progress or a steady process as the, as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in their lives, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Tribulation in the life of someone who experiences the word of God is to be expected because Satan is clever and his, his ways are cunning. So if you receive the gospel and you go, man, this God is so good, I guarantee you, Satan is going to come with something bad. Why? 
Because your theology is just about, oh, well, God's good. Everything's going to be all good all the time. All the time, God is good. You've, you've heard people say it. They think they expect God is going to, going to bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. Remember the people? They wanted the show. They wanted the miracles. Just bless me, Jesus. Bless me. They didn't want the teaching. They didn't want the whole teaching. They thought life was just going to be all trouble-free. It's important to have a proper theology of the whole entire understanding of God. Because when trouble comes, not if, tr- when, not if trouble comes, but when trouble comes, then you respond the same way that Jesus did. How did Jesus respond? With Scripture. With Scripture. With Scripture. Because He understood Scripture. He understood the Father. When trouble comes in your life, instead of going, well, if God is good and, and this is bad, then, then it, where's God? Is there a God? Instead of questioning, you'll respond with, hey, this is what Jesus promised. He said in this world, we will have tribulation. He says, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world, he said. You're going to have problems. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, expect to live a trouble-free life as believers. Verse 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what has been sown. So you might be going, well, how could could anyone, how could any man, any farmer ever produce a crop 100 times what was sown? Well, the answer to that question is, no one, no farmer can do it. It's God that gives the increase. It's God that gives the harvest. And now we're getting into the theme of markets. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He's the least understood part of the Trinity, as I've said. He's the least focused on part of the Trinity. He's almost like that that weird uncle figure out there that, that we got. We know cognitively he belongs in the Trinity, right? No one baptizes in the name of the, of the Father and the Son. I mean, it's kind of like... Come on, it's like holding in a sneeze. Oh, and the Holy Spirit. There's something missing. What is it? Uh, people say, well, I, I don't know. I don't understand the Holy Spirit. Some people always, always want to hyper-spiritualize everything you know, on, the other, on the other extreme. Every time they find their keys that were in their back pocket, oh, praise God, the Holy Spirit showed me where my keys were. They hyper-spiritualize things. And, and, and there's people that have overdone it to the point of where we consciously go, well, we've got to be careful there because, you know, we, don't, we want to avoid the, the extreme there. But I believe that in doing so, what we've done is we've neglected a proper understanding and we've neglected a proper worship of the Holy Spirit. And there's no way in, in 30 to 45 minutes here that I can cover everything. I, I, I was trying to, and then I was like, man, this message is going to be way too long. I just hopefully this will whet your appetite and you'll want to dive in more and understand more about the Holy Spirit based upon what we what we look at this morning. Now there's a balance scale in our heads sometimes that we we kind of feel that, well, if I'm going to give more to the Holy Spirit, then I got to give less to the Father's Son. And that's not true. That's not how it works. We don't have to bring one down in order to put one up. We need to elevate the power and the presence and the worship of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This doesn't diminish the Father or the Son in any way. I think for a lot of us, his presence, his understanding of our life is stunted because we get, we get good word pictures of the Father. We get good word pictures for the Son, but we don't really get a good word picture necessarily for the, the Holy Ghost. It's like, oh, cool, Father. I had a Father. I know fathers. I am a Father. Son, I can relate to that. I, I'm a Son. Holy Ghost, what do you do? You know, your need, you're, you're kind of weird and mysterious. What, what do you do with that? 
We're called to worship the Trinity in its fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each deserving of our time, our attention, our worship, our passion. He continues in verse 21. He said to them, this is another parable. He says, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on your stand, on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you've got ears, you need to be intentional in hearing and understanding this. Now, pull out that half sheet of paper, says life notes at the top, and you're probably wondering, is he ever going to get to the life notes or some fill-in-the-blanks for us? That's the introduction. Okay. <laughs> Another hour, hour and a half, I don't know. Look at your life notes. Fill in where it says. The first one there. The Holy Spirit is necessary for salvation. The Holy Spirit is necessary to salvation. That's what this first section's about. The parable of the sower and the seeds. You may have wanted to keep asking yourself, heard it taught, and people say, well, what kind of soil am I? Well, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not soil. You're the farmer, okay? If you're not a Jesus follower yet, that's okay. Then maybe you could say, what kind of soil am I? Am I going to let this seed germinate? Am I going to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to me and, and understanding what He's saying up there? But if you're a Christ follower, you're not soil anymore. You're a farmer. And we, we might want to ask, what soil am I? Well, none of them unless you're not a Jesus follower. The goal is that we all would be Jesus followers and we would encourage each other, but you're a farmer. You got promoted not because of your merit, but because of the Holy Spirit. You're promoted to farmer, which means that when you come through these doors into, into, into Force Hall here, or when you're listening on the podcast, you come to be filled up, that you could then go out and spread the seed. The seed which is what? The gospel. The teaching of Jesus Christ that you could go and you would throw the seed to other people, that you would be witnesses to this God who has brought salvation to you. The second section here, this, the lamp on the stand, fill this in. The Holy Spirit is necessary for honoring God with our works. You know, we need the Holy Spirit to do good works. This is the lamp on the stand, Matthew 5, uh, 16. You know, Jesus taught there in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, in the same way, let your light shine among men that they may see your good deeds and what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Why? So that you get pats on the back so that people say, oh, what a great Christian you are. No. So that they can see your good deeds and they'll glorify who? Glorify God, not you. You, Christian, are like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And Jesus says, he said about himself, he said, I am the light of the world. And there's that notion again in Scripture that because of the Holy Spirit in our life, we're, we're able to do good works. And without the Holy Spirit, every one of our good works is just an extension of our own selfishness. Our works in our own, in our own righteousness is like filthy rags. God doesn't want to have anything to do with it. The only works that God receives are from believers. The only good work that He receives are from believers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's prompting them, that's doing it through them. When it's doing, when we're doing it for our own pleasure, for our own goodness, or to, or to look good, then we reap the glory. And whenever we compete with God for glory, that's called pride. And that's not a good thing. It's a, it's a net negative result. We need the Holy Spirit in order to receive the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit for salvation. We need the Holy Spirit to do the good works that God desires. The third section, the parable of growing seeds, 
There's actually four parables here in, in this chapter, and we're going to be covering not only this week, but next week. And I'm just going to say here that the Holy Spirit is necessary for maturity in Christ. Right maturity in that block. The Holy Spirit is necessary for maturity in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit in order to grow and mature. And we're going to look at this more closely next week. In the last section, verses 30 through 34, we see that the Holy Spirit is necessary for discipleship, which is part of growing in Christ. Again, we're going to cover that next week. We must have the Holy Spirit in order to disciple others. So we need the Holy Spirit to receive the good news of God. We need the Holy Spirit to do the good works that God desires. And then we need the Holy Spirit in order to mature in our faith, to move from, from milk to, to solid food, as the Scripture says, to move on, to mature, to, to exchange old desires for, for new ones in Christ. And finally, we do that to bring others into the fold of Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that too. And I believe this is Mark's theme that he's talking about in his section. It's, it's not just like, hey, hey, let's talk about some farming methods. Let's talk about some, how you scatter seed, how, how things grow. It's you're the farmer. The seed is the Word of God. Sow it broadly. You don't know who's going to listen, and the Holy Spirit is going to take it from there. And if someone doesn't receive, it's not your fault. And if someone does receive, it's not your glory. You're a tool, you're an instrument that God uses to affect His plan. He takes it from there. His plan of spreading the gospel, spreading salvation. And God uses some tools for, for a certain reason, for common use. We're taught in Scripture. He can use anything. In, in the Old Testament, we see where He used a, a great big fish in Jonah's case. Or in Balaam's case, he used a donkey to talk and to, to bring himself glory. There's lots of ways that God can do it. So the farmer is not necessarily the important, the, the primo thing. There, we like to be very self-centered and think that we're we're the show, we're the we're the thing that's important. Really, we're replaceable. We're replaceable. Jesus told told the people, he said, "Hey, if you don't if you don't praise me, these rocks, these stones, they'll cry out." But what a joy it is to participate and the work of Christ, the crucified one, the resurrected one. We get to be part of this thing. So the Holy Spirit is necessary for salvation. The Holy Spirit is necessary for honoring God with our works. The Holy Spirit is necessary for maturity. And the Holy Spirit is necessary for discipleship that others may walk with Christ. So let's go to the next section of your life notes. The role of the Holy Spirit. There's this word that's, that's used in the in the New Testament, to, to, in the Greek, to, to define the Holy Spirit, and it's the word paraclete. Paraclete, it, it, the literal translation, is the one that comes and walks alongside. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and walks alongside of the companion, the comforter, the helper. The Holy Spirit is the power, the authority, and the presence of God. And here's the way that the role of the Holy Spirit works. And you know, just try to get this word picture because it's difficult because we don't have a great one for the Holy Spirit like we have for Father and for Son. The Father sins. God sins. He plans out our salvation. He identifies what's wrong. He makes the game plan, and then He sends the Son to affect the plan. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. God sends the Word, capital W. You know, this is Jesus. The Word becomes flesh. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate here in a couple weeks for the incarnation. God sends, sends the second part of the Trinity, Jesus. 
The father, you know, identifies himself as the father and he sins. The son accomplishes. The son lives a, a perfect life, fully God, fully man. And then he leaves and he says, I'm leaving so that someone greater can come. Well, well, wait a minute. Wait, you're God. How, how, can, how can he be greater? What, greater than what? And Jesus says, greater than me. Well, who could be greater than you? Well, someone who can live inside, someone who can indwell each and every one of you, who can indwell all of my followers all at once. You see, Jesus is still found in human appearance. Jesus, he's, he's able to communicate with all of, of deity, of all the deity of God. So in that way, he's omnipresent, omniscient. But you will see a physical Jesus when you get to heaven. You'll be able to hug him. You'll be able to sit with him. If the Father, if God the Father chooses to manifest himself in a body, we could do that as well with him. But we understand that God is spirit, and we understand that the Holy Spirit is spirit. And Jesus has this form and this function, and because of that, he can be identified. After his resurrection, he can still be identified by the nail prints in his hands. He remains now in heaven in a glorified body that we will see, as I said, someday. We cannot totally understand all of this. But the Father sends, the Son accomplishes, and the Holy Spirit indwells. He indwells. And so Jesus sends someone that's greater than him in the fact that the Holy Spirit can indwell all people, that he can be with us, that we can now become the temple of God. Now, for years and years and years, the Jews built the temple. They had to build it more than once because it got destroyed. And God was in a box in the center of the temple. God was, 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 it was in a box for them. But when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, the veil the veil between that box and the veil between that box and the people was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And then the Holy Spirit was sent so the Holy Spirit could be inside of us. The Holy Spirit could indwell us because now God's people, we are the temple. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the temple. You're the temple of the indwelling God of the Holy Spirit. He is the power of God. You think of Samson in the Old Testament. Samson would rip a lion apart when the Spirit came upon him. He's the authority. Isaiah 61, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's the authority of God. He's the power of God. He's the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know... Paul's talking to the people at Corinth. These, this church that was so jacked up, so messed up, he's talking to them and saying, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And I believe God would say the same thing to the church today. When he sees the divisiveness in the church, when he sees the backbiting, the backstabbing, the things that happen in, church, in our churches, the fighting, God would say, don't you realize my Spirit lives in you? The Spirit of God is manifest in us. And the truth of the Scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes this home in our hearts. Imagine this, the, the implication of the God of the universe residing inside you. Not that you're a little God. Don't, don't, don't go down that route. There's people out there teaching that. Not that you're a little God, but the Spirit of God chooses to live inside, to indwell the believer. How do you know you have the Spirit in your life? Some homework here. Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Again, we taught on this a couple years ago. A whole series of sermons on, the, uh, on each one part of the fruit of the Spirit. 
It basically says that there's a way to tell if the Holy Spirit is active in your life by looking for the fruit. Looking for the fruit. And you might want to sit down sometime this week with Galatians 5.22 and, and evaluate yourself. Look at this. If you've got a trusted prayer partner or friend or a spouse or someone, maybe you can sit down with them and say, hey, do you see this fruit in my life? And, and folks, you know, we're all in process, okay? None of us have arrived yet. We're all in process. But we don't get just to pick, well, this is my favorite fruit. Like, you know, like, like, like I like pears. Most people have heard me say that here before, Sandy. They know that I like pears. But I don't get to just pick one fruit out of this list in Galatians. It's the whole enchilada. We're supposed to be developing. We're supposed to be, be maturing all the fruit in our lives. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to look at how this plays out in the life of the Jesus follower. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. 